Hello, welcome to Dying to Talk. I'm Buddy Feneff, a fourth generation funeral director in New Hampshire and the owner of Feneff Funeral Homes and Crematorium and the founder of the Cremation Society of New Hampshire. My co-hosts today are Mandy Damaris and Madison Smith, both longtime funeral directors with our firm. Hello, I'm Mandy. Thanks for joining us on Dying to Talk. Hi, I'm Madison. We're excited to discuss some frequently asked questions about the funeral industry. Dying to Talk is a lighthearted and upbeat discussion of those topics no one really wants to talk about. Each episode, we will choose a subject that is related to funeral service, the cremation process, or death and dying. Today, we are going to be talking about how to create meaningful funerals and memorial services and customize them using music, eulogies, and stories. Uh, our guest is Reverend Douglas Rickard. He is a Presbyterian minister, and he is also a funeral celebrant and a multi-talented musician who plays many musical instruments. Um, hopefully, he'll bring one today to, to play on the show. Um, I love, I love, we, Doug has done countless services for us, and I, I love the concept of, of, of what he does because a lot of people think funerals are cookie cutter and you can't customize them, and, and Doug, as well as a number of our other celebrants, really, you know, meet with the families, take stories, meaningful things about their lives, and weave in eulogies and music and just really create something that's really unique and, and custom for those families that like something, something like that. Yeah, it's not really for everyone, does. but... Yeah, he stands yeah. apart from so many other... Um, you know, celebrants and don't. So we have a lot of other celebrants that listen to the show, so we don't, they're all wonderful. They're but all amazing. But he does have his own special flair that he uh, he brings to a service. I think the families definitely find that the musical aspect is is healing. There's a time for reflection. He has a beautiful voice, and he's so talented with all of his different instruments. It's mm -hmm. definitely a different type of funeral. Yep. So it's going to be a great segment. There are places I'll remember all my life Though some have changed, some forever Not for better, some have gone And some remain, all these places have their moments With lovers and friends I still can recall some are dead and some are living In my life I've loved them more But of all these friends and lovers There is no one compares with you And these memories lose their meaning when I think of love as something new though I know I'll never lose affection for people and things that went before I know I'll often stop and think about them but in my life I've loved you more but in my life I'd love you more. This week's topic is creating meaningful funeral and memorial services using music, 
Eulogies in Stories. And our guest, who you just heard, is the Reverend Doug Rickard, a Presbyterian minister, a feudal celebrant, and of course, a wonderful musician. Doug, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be with you. That was wonderful. So um, you've done many services for us, and, and music is something you incorporate. So to start, why do you think it's important that um, you, you use live music um, to, for memorial and funeral services? What's the importance of that in your mind? Probably because early in my life, even before I went into ministry, I was pursuing a career in music, and I studied music therapy. That was one of the courses I'd taken for my uh, studies. And I found music reaches the emotive part of the mind. It's one of the last parts of the brain to diminish. So I do a lot of music therapy now with um, healthcare facilities, working with mental support, working with uh, Alzheimer's and dementia patients individual and group settings. And music has always been a powerful way to reach people who are in many situations non-communicative. And I found that uh, also that carries over into helping people who are in the active stages of grieving to reach them through music. It's important. We have, we've had some hospice um, folks come on and they had talked about how important music is for mm. a hospice patient in their, you know, their near end stages. So it, it really sort of runs the whole gamut of, of Memorial services to pre-dying, active dying, grief and therapy and yes, I've I've recently been doing that. Uh, he he is gone now, but I had a private patient that I his wife had me going in for a number of weeks because he played guitar when he was able to, and he responded really well. Um, at one point, he was um, his right foot began moving. He was keeping perfect rhythm with what I was playing, and then he even began singing on one of the songs that I was just playing an instrumental version. I think it was Danny Boy, and he began singing. And so I was like, I was really impressed. And then quickly after that, he, he went to sleep, and he had been very agitated, but the music really comforted him. So, well, it's important. Yeah. How many instruments do you play? I play about seven, actually. That's it? Well, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's about all that I actually perform with publicly. Yes. And what are those seven? Well, let's see. I play I play the guitar, various forms, acoustic and acoustic electric. Uh, I play five-string banjo and four-string tenor jazz banjo. I play the Highland bagpipes, um, which has been had me thrown out of a number of places for playing those. <laughs> uh, so, and also a variety of brass instruments too. I I began uh, when as a young person uh, study of brass, so cornet, euphonium, tuba. So we've you, you've done many services for us, as I mentioned. I know you've incorporated, obviously, the guitar. Have you used other instruments for, for funeral and memorial services? Or? I have. I, I use the pipes quite often, especially if we're at a cemetery, uh, usually as the families are gathering around the grave site. I'll uh, play the pipes. and Definitely then at the end, use them to an outside. Yes, yeah. they, are, they are an outside <laughs> instrument. No, it's, it's not just for Scott. We have many, you know, many sure. French-Canadian families requesting bagpipes. Well, we and... like our bagpipes, too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we like your bagpipes. <laughs> I think perhaps one of the most interesting times I had speaking of piping was I showed up for a service at a cemetery, and um, I, I'm there, and so the director asked me if I could just play an extra set because the minister hadn't shown up yet. And so as I was playing, the, the director came over and said, I, I don't know where the minister is. I'm not. The family didn't really know the minister. It was someone who had been 
So I said, well, do you have the funeral, the, the pastor, clergy mm -hmm. card, clergy record? Uh, yeah. So she brought it to me, and I looked at it, and I said, well, if you want. I said, I'll, I'll do the service. And so she's like, oh, okay. So I just piped another set, put my pipes down, and then I stepped up, and, and they're all like, oh, you're the minister. I'm like, yes. <laughs> oh, we thought somebody else was coming. They never knew the difference, and I did the service, and, and she was very thankful, and the family was thankful, and so that's kind of what happens. So, so speaking of, so you, you are obviously your, your ordained minister. I most, am. The, most of the services you do have a, have a religious aspect, or are you often asked to, you know, to do non-denominational or more humanistic services? Does it run the gamut? Or? It, it really runs the gamut. I will usually ask the family, you know, if, they, uh, have a, if they're part of a church or a faith community, and if they are, try to determine, you know, where that might be. Because, again, I don't want to um, offend families. Uh, if, if they were, um, had a church or a faith background, I'll, I'll ask them, you know, is it all right if I use scripture or prayer? And sometimes they're very clear saying we, we really don't want uh, a religious, we want a more of a celebration of life, and I'm fine with that, and, and we'll do that as well. Great. Now, you incorporate also um, a lot of storytelling into your services. Where, where do you draw inspiration for those stories? Well, those come from a number of places. Sometimes um, when I've been doing another service, maybe a family member might share a reading, and I'll ask them if I could have some, because I've collected a pretty extensive uh, uh, array of stories, and because you never know when you might need them. Um, some of them come from my uh, from my father, from my grandfather, who were great, both great storytellers. My grandfather being from Ireland, you know, he was uh, f he was full of blarney, as you might say, you know, <laughs> truly Irish. So. Now, can you share? I know a story that I've heard several times talking about the ship leaving the harbor. Maybe you can you can share because I've heard that many times, but I just it's a I the ship. That, so yes. And actually, thank you for asking about that. I um, good friends sent me that when my father passed 19 years ago. And I had heard it, but I had never really studied it. Uh, Henry Van Dyke, who was a minister during the 19th century America, he composed that. It's called The Ship. Beautiful imagery of immortality. I'm standing by the seashore. A ship at my side spreads her white sails for the morning breeze, starts with the blue ocean. She's an object of beauty and strength. And I stand and watch her until at length. She hangs like a speck of white cloud where sea and sky come down to mingle with each other. And then someone at my side says, there, she's gone. Gone where? Gone from my sight, that's all. She is just as large and mast and hull and spar as she was when she left my side, and just as able to bear her load of living freight to her place of destination. Her diminished size is in me, not in her. And just at the moment when someone says, there, she's gone, there are other eyes watching her coming, other voices ready to take up the glad shout, here she comes, here she comes. That's a great story. I love mm. that story so yeah. much. Uh, do, you, do you encourage families? I mean, what if families want to say, I, I want to incorporate, I mean, how do you work with families to incorporate their own stories and their own eulogies? Because that's, that's one of the more challenging things for families. And, you know, many times families have come here and said, oh, I have something I want to read for my dad's family, and they just can't do it. Right. So how do you work with them? Well, generally, I'll, I'll work with them and encourage them to do that very thing, because the more personal we can make it, the more meaningful it will be and more will connect with 
extended family and friends who were there. Uh, you're absolutely right. What I'll do usually if they're hesitant about that, I, I may encourage them to put it down in the form of a letter maybe to their loved one, write their thoughts down and just say, uh, if you want to give me a copy of that, if you find that for some reason you're not able to get through it, you know, I can always step up beside you and, and take over, but you'll be glad that you, uh, you know, have made the effort, even if you're not able to get all the way through, you'll be glad that you put the effort into that. And looking back, it will be a meaningful thing. But just creating this, I mean, that's, that's, that's very cathartic by just thinking Abs about, yes, it what, is. even though you may not be able to express it by just going through the motion of, of, of writing it down. So, right. Yeah. And I'll also, uh, something in recent years I've been encouraging families to do, I'll ask them, you know, has your loved one um, communicated with you or shared with you in any way that, uh, you know, they're okay? Uh, initially, people would look at me strange, but it has become such a common thing that families will say to me before I even ask them, oh, you know, mom or dad or, you know, my son or daughter or my brother, whatever, they commun they gave us this sign that they're everything's and that was a, a, a very comforting cathartic thing for them as well so mm -hmm. i encourage them to to express some things like that now with all the different types of families that you work with what do you think is the most unique venue you've been to you took my question madison oh sorry <laughs> that's okay that's a that's a great question <laughs> So I know we, you're here at the funeral hall and the cemetery church. I know we've even had a service at a hotel, but there has to be someplace more unique. Hmm. Boy, that's, that is a good one. <laughs> like a yurt in Utah or anything that you might have had a service at, no? Well, I was, I was thinking about a, a time I did a service in, in Center Ice at, a, at an ice rink. Because that was actually oh. for my friend's yeah. Uh, wedding yeah. that he needed a minister, and the, the bride came in on the Zamboni. Oh, my God. No. I, yeah. I, I was going to say, and, and that was Buddy's hockey. friend, so that was like, I'm like, this is really unique. So yeah. That was not a funeral. No, no, that was... Okay. So, so you do other services other than just... Oh, I do. I do a lot of weddings, mm -hmm. actually. He's still and, married, by the way, just to let you... Oh, oh yeah. good to know. Yeah, that was about <laughs> 15 glad. years ago. So I'm yeah. glad to know that. Yes, and, and those are always interesting. Things like um, riding across uh, Lake Winnipesaukee with, um, you know, with the, the bride and groom on an, you know, the old wooden boats there, you know, taking them over across the lake. To the, so, yeah. I even, oh, I even had the pleasure of meeting you years before I knew you in funeral service. You baptized my nieces, That's my right. twin nieces, and you did it at their home. Um, that was, and you included music at that service too. That's right. And I remember when we taught, and I said, "Oh, of course." And then I went back and found your name as the one of mm -hmm. the uh, uh, godmother, godmother yeah. on that. And yeah, it was a beautiful day. We're out in their backyard, mm -hmm. and it was the comp and it was the. They were very comfortable, which was really important. And because sometimes if people are not really into the whole church thing, it can be very sterile and, and really in some ways can be a little dis frightening for uh, children if they're not, if this is the first time they've come into the church, you know, for uh, the sacrament of baptism. So, and I, I think about the fact that the Lord himself was baptized in the Jordan River and I stood at that spot. It's beautiful, you know, as the water's cascading through. So, to be outside can be a, a wonderful thing in, in the beauty of 
God's creation around us. Now, have you ever been asked to, to co-officiate a service, maybe with a, a priest or a rabbi or another minister? How does that all I, yeah, play I, out? Yeah, I have done that. That's it's been very interesting. And of course, you know there are some restrictions that um, uh, priests uh, have about going into the church. Exactly. Right. Um, I've had some interesting times where I've been asked to pipe into the into a church and then maybe pipe the remains out. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then some priests have said, oh, no, we don't allow any pipers in the church. And I'm like, oh, well. You already just... have pipes in the organ there. Yeah. Right? It's a different. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. I just piped someone out of this church last year before yeah. you came. So I don't know what that's about. But anyway, it, every, every time is unique and interesting. <laughs> what, um, what's the hardest part of this for you? I would say the most challenging time for me is when it involves a young child. Yeah, that's probably, I would say, is the most emotive time for me because, again, it's um, when when I'm part of celebrating, you know, someone's life. They've they've lived a long, full life. We just and, and we're just rejoicing that they've had. That's a one. That's a beautiful thing. But you know, when you've got uh, parents who uh, have had all these beautiful plans, and and their child. Uh, maybe either in utero or after, short time after their birth, um, it's obvious that things are not uh, going well and that child passes. I, I find that a really, for me personally, a very difficult thing to get through to be, because you want to be supportive to the, to the parents, to the mother, um, without being too overwhelmed yourself. But I, I would say that's probably my most challenging thing. And, that, and that's our most challenging. Yeah, we never get, we never, for funeral directors and gentlemen, you, you don't, you no. never get used to that right. type it's of... not uh, something you can steal yourself to ever. No. And then also, I would say probably, and in the current climate where we are right now in New Hampshire, it has been very difficult for me this year to, I have done way too many services for young people who have died from heroin overdoses mm -hmm. and their families are just devastated and that's it's very hard well let's let's um end this segment on a little bit of an upbeat okay um, let's do that upbeat do you want to end with the song again oh sure sure Great. we can do that um how about let me let me just do a song that patsy klein recorded before her very untimely passing but it's it's a great song my grandfather loved this song so it's got a nice little uh sort of a country. It's based on an old uh, church hymn and it's called Life's Like a Mountain Railroad. Life is like a mountain railroad with an engineer that's brave. We must make Successful from the grave to the grave. Watch the curves of fields and tunnels never falter.
Thank you for joining us on another informative episode of Dying to Talk. I definitely learned a lot. If our listeners have any questions about funerals or cremations, either in New Hampshire or Vermont, I'm happy to answer them. Just email me at buddy at finef.net. That's buddy at P-H-A-N-E-U-F.net. Or call me on my direct line at 603-625-5778. Our contact information is in the show notes of this episode too. 